Are the interest rate hawks flying too high? Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of April 25th, 2022. And this week, Julia and I are checking in on the biggest theme in the market right now, inflation. But today, it's less about prices themselves and more about market expectations for inflation. And by extension, their expectations for interest rates. How do we see this in the data? And most importantly, what it means for markets. Preface, in mid-April, we got the March figures for inflation, which came in both higher than expected and the highest since 1981 at 8.5% year over year. Nothing to sneeze at. Nothing indeed. And this isn't unique. Inflation has been running quite hot for the last several months, even quarters. And higher inflation has been making the market more hawkish. By that, we mean pushing expectations for the Federal Reserve's hiking cycle upward. And this hawkishness has been aggressive. I mean, can you believe it, Julia? We were looking at the start of 2022 at the rates implied by the federal funds futures. And the market then was expecting three 25 basis point hikes this year, leaving at a policy rate of below 1% by the end of 2022. Now the market expects maybe nine, maybe 10 more hikes this year. We've already gotten one, which would potentially take us to a 3% policy rate. I know it's been such a wild ride. And if you think back to that turn of the year, everyone had their own pet theory about peak inflation and how far the Fed would need to hike. But what really changed things was Russia's war on Ukraine. The shocks to commodity prices from that conflict created such an inflationary push that really carried inflation expectations upward, not just for the next few months, but for the next five and even 10 years. And the only real response to that has to be a hawkish rate hike cycle. Yeah. So what caught our attention and why we decided to chat through this for our listeners today is that the market actually didn't respond to the March inflation print the way it has been, that 8.5% number that you gave earlier, Julia. And when that number came out, inflation expectations actually dropped on the news. And even though they started creeping up higher over the, the days afterwards, the market didn't start pricing in more hikes until Fed Chair Jay Powell gave some really hawkish commentary to the International Monetary Fund or IMF last week. Yeah. And we saw the same type of messaging coming across in the yield curve. The yield curve had been flattening since the start of the year at the fastest pace in two decades in anticipation of that rate hike cycle. But when the March inflation print came out, the curve was actually steepening at the fastest pace in four decades due to a combination of factors. First, expectations for quantitative tightening were pushing up rates on the long end. But second, on the front end, those shorter tenor bonds that are more affected by rate hikes, those came down slightly after the inflation print. In other words, If the market was expecting further aggression in rate hikes, yields for those front-end tenors would have risen. They wouldn't decline when we have the crazy inflation print that we did last week. And there's a really important caveat here, though. In the last few days, yields have risen again across the curve in response to the hawkish message from Jay Powell. So whether the reaction to March inflation was just a pause of that trend or a signal of something more, that's the key question. Yeah, it, it really is. 
And when inflation came out, the yield curve was saying, you know, fear not. It was, it was the calming factor. And it suggested that investors were comfortable with the rate hikes they had already priced in. As in, more inflation news didn't mean that interest rates needed to go much higher than already expected, if at all. But then one speech from Chair Powell about containing this inflation and the story reverses. I mean, in my view, without additional news on inflation itself, I don't see why expectations had to get more hawkish. I would even go further than that with how I'm reading this. I completely agree with you, but I'd say that the market believes inflation is actually peaking. So we've discussed what points to that immediate term, but inflation expectations for the next five years have come down significantly. Frankly, in terms of how much the Fed will need to hike to make this happen, I think the market might have gotten ahead of itself. In terms of uh, hawks and doves, we could say the hawks might have flown too high. Yeah. I mean, the way that I think about this is through the lens of the neutral interest rate, which anchors long-term expectations. Yeah. For context for our listeners, the neutral interest rate is a mainstay of economic theory. It's the interest rate in the economy that neither stimulates nor constrains economic activity. It's like that Goldilocks level, so to speak. Right. And the Fed estimates neutral to be 2.4%. And expectations for the year-end policy rate, like you mentioned, Lauren, are now at about 3%, so decidedly above neutral. I just don't see a reason to say that the Fed needs to hike above the neutral rate until we start to see how the economy and market digest more rate hikes and quantitative tightening, which we haven't even seen quite yet. If inflation doesn't respond to tightening when it really starts to happen, let's talk about going above neutral then. But the market seems to be putting the cart before the horse. Yeah, it's a super good point. And look, growth is already starting to slow, and we've hardly started to see the effects of more interest rate hikes and quantitative tightening, both of which are likely to slow the economy further. I see reason for the market to get less hawkish in the months ahead, especially if the market tightens financial conditions before the Fed has a chance to actually get the policy rate very high. So does that mean that you think inflation will stop being a problem? No, and that's a really important point to clarify. It's probable, in our view, that inflation will remain high through the end of the year and could even continue to surprise to the upside on a month-to-month basis. The difference is that inflation may be fully priced in and therefore not a key concern of the markets. And as growth slows, aggregate inflationary pressures are likely to slow from here as well. Those are really critical takeaways, Lauren. And you snuck in a layer of insight there that I just want to pull out which is about how Fed policy is going to contribute to slowing growth, which we do expect ahead. And I think a key variable there is whether Fed tightening is going to hit growth first or inflation first. Inflation right now is primarily caused by shocks to the energy and commodity complex. And of course, the Fed needs to react to that. But the Fed isn't OPEC. The Fed can't bring more oil supply online. And the Fed certainly can't make everyone feel calmer about the Russia-Ukraine conflict monetary policy can only aim to affect demand. So there is a risk there that we'll see some months ahead of still high inflation, even as growth slows. I agree. That is definitely a risk. But I think it's more of a concern for the latter part of this year. It's not just energy that the Fed is fighting. Wage growth is incredibly high by historic standards, and that's very much internal to the U.S. economy. And so there's some more organic cyclical pressures contributing to inflation that the Fed will need to combat. That takes us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And we're going to go right to the heart of this episode, which is to ask if the hawks have flown too high. And if they have, what does that mean for investors? In other words, if expectations for inflation and for the severity of the Fed's hiking cycle are peaking, what does that mean for your investments? 
And as we mentioned last week, the equity and fixed income markets are in different parts of their cycles right now. And this is because equities seem to be able to hang on as long as growth holds up relatively well, while the bond market is pricing in future expectations for the hiking cycle already. And just to pile on another question, what if we're just so wrong and yields keep rising, inflation and inflation expectations become unanchored, and the market gets even more aggressively hawkish? Yeah, I mean, for that, I think growth would have to stay very robust to support meaningfully higher yields from here, or there would have to be an even bigger global supply or commodity shock, which is just not what we would expect. We're actually going to be covering that growth question over the next few weeks on the podcast and sharing some takeaways from our quarterly outlook with our lovely listeners. So if we just go back to assuming that we're right about this, the critical discussion that peaking inflation and interest rates would prompt is about duration. Our team and many others has been short duration since, gosh, six to nine months ago, because duration doesn't work while interest rates are rising. Their prices are sensitive to that rise in rates. And so Treasuries, as one example, are high duration. And so we've been out of that core bond space and underweight aggregate fixed income. Where we've kept some diversification is in short duration, high yield securities. We've been waiting to add that duration back until we're further along in the hiking cycle and we feel fully confident that the interest rate expectations have peaked. Another part of that is quantitative tightening. It's been well signaled, but we would like to see how yields and spreads react to the Fed rolling off parts of its balance sheet before we make a big rotation within fixed income. So duration is a key topic of interest and discussion for our team, but we're not moving quite yet. The duration story might change quicker, though, for some institutional investors. Real yields were so negative just about a month ago, about negative 1%. Today, they're almost zero. Negative real yields have been weighing on core bonds, but if those yields go neutral or even positive, that might be enough for some investors. All of this is to say market watchers will be hearing a lot about duration in the coming months. Coming up next, this week is a big week in the economic data world because we get GDP advance estimates for the first quarter of the year. Given the questions of how long and how well the economy can keep up with high prices, this is a critical data point. Between that and corporate earnings season and the conference board consumer survey results, we'll have a much clearer picture by the end of the week of the economic environment awaiting us this year. That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. And like Julia said, a peek at our new economic outlook. In the meantime, if you have a question or a topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Julia Herman. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamox and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding any fund or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not 
be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances, and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nye Life Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nye Life Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.